everybody. Let me try that again. Good morning, everybody. I am so glad to be here with you today, and uh, I'm celebrating this weekend. Uh, my lovely wife is here. This is 23 years for us married this weekend, and um, I love you. I couldn't do it without you. I am so, I love her today more than the first day I met her, and I'm so excited about her, and my family's here. My son's going back to college. This is a big weekend for us. We're celebrating, and I'm celebrating, too, that I get to share God's word with you today. And every so often, I want to just stop the, the wheel that we're on and explain this is why we're here. This is why we started this church. This is the whole point of it all. And I hope that I fire you up today. My goal is to inspire you and to help you see that we're a part of something that's so much bigger than us, that God is at work, and we've just decided to join him. But in two weeks' time, like Jared said, we're going to embark on one of the most significant 40-day journeys that we've ever done. It's called 40 Days in the Word, and Rick Warren has done it again, and he's written an incredible book to help you understand God's Word like never before. And it's so important that you learn how to understand and learn and grow and be a doer of God's Word on your own and to hear God's uh, voice through other people, not just your pastor, not just me, but to really become someone who gets your... Your, your hands on God's Word, and can, it'll make sense to you, and it opens up. Um, we are an incredible church with so much diversity, and one of the things I love about being in a small group with you um, is that we ought to embrace that diversity. God wants to teach us and expand your worldview. Some of you have just come from one stream of Christianity. Well, in this church, we have people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different streams, different ages, different ethnicities. And something powerful happens when you get into a small group and you start to share God's word and you hear God's voice. Some of you need to hear God's word from an African-American perspective. And some of you need to hear, some of you Protestants need to get around some Catholics and some Catholics need to get around some Protestants. And some of you uh, Methodists need to get around a few Baptists. It'll be good for you, I promise. <laughs> and uh, I'm just telling you, you want to kind of experience Christianity the way God looks at us from heaven. We're all his children. And he looks down at us, and he's just calling us to come together because his mission is so great. And the mission is about loving people well, leading them into a transforming relationship with him, and then inspiring them to not just take in, but to become givers like he is. God is the greatest giver who ever lived. And the transformation, when I say that God wants you to, to, to lead you and be changed by him, this transforming relationship, it starts off because we start off life like this, with our fists closed, saying things like mine, and we just grew up, and we still keep saying the same things. And what God has for all of us is he's trying to turn us into uh, his sons and daughters, people who look just like him, people who will give. And wouldn't it be great if all of us learned how to act and walk and talk and live like Jesus with open hands, and we learned how to have a heart like his? That's why we say we're here to love people well, lead them into a transforming relationship with Jesus so that they learn how to love people well. And Jesus said when the church gets that, not even the gates of hell will ever be able to stop That's right. that church. So I'm excited today about what I'm going to share with you. Hope you'll pull out uh, uh, the notes that are in your program. I want you to learn uh, and to write down some of the lessons that we've learned over the last 12 years since we've started Heartland Church. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you take control of me and take control of our, our thoughts and our hearts. We give ourselves to you now. We hold nothing back. We're asking you to do what needs to be done in us today. I love you with all of my heart and with all my soul, with all my mind and my strength. Amen. 
1999, I was 29 years old. <laughs> I'd never pastored a church before. I didn't know uh, anything about how to lead an organization like this at all. Um, my wife and I had been married a few years. My son was seven, my daughter was four, and I had a little baby girl, one year old. We were just kind of babies with babies at that point in our life. <laughs> and God had began to burn a certain scripture into my heart, and it's on the top of your outline. It says, uh, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. Nobody wants to be lost. Nobody likes being called lost. I was driving my bicycle uh, just yesterday, lost in thought, thinking about this message, you know, just kind of consumed with, how am I going to explain this? And out of the corner of my eye, I saw this movement, and I looked, and I was about to just drive right over this lady. I mean, she was just, I was lost in thought. And so I swerved back on the path with my Heartland t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Come ask me about my church, and I don't think she was going to ask me about my church, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I've driven this path a hundred times, and I've, I'm not lost. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing, but for whatever reason, I was lost in my own thoughts, and I couldn't see, and I almost drove over this lady. If that was you, I'm so sorry, or if that was your mom, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. It was an accident. But isn't that <laughs> what life is like? We accidentally find ourselves in places that we never thought, like, how did I get here? How did I do that? After all these years, I never thought I would be in this place, like, and life explodes, or you find life unraveling all kinds of people. They don't want to, no man wants to say, oh, we're lost, but you know what the truth is? All of us find ourselves in places at different times in our life, and we say, how in the world did I get here? You know what I'm saying? So, everybody's lost, and this is a culture where people are, are, you just read it in the papers. There's a great hunger spiritually. People want to know God. There's a great need for hope, but people are disconnecting from the church at record numbers. Churches are closing at record numbers. That shouldn't be so. And so that was like burning in my heart in 1999. I want to be a part of something that helps to change that. I want to be a part of starting a church for people who have given up on God, who, who really maybe didn't even give up on God, but they just got too busy, or maybe they got hurt or discouraged, or something happened and they quit going. They married somebody else who have a different stream and they couldn't figure it out, so they just quit. Well, there's thousands and thousands of people like that. So I said, God, uh, I give you my life. I grew up uh, overseas in, in the Caribbean. My parents were missionaries. They've been doing that their whole lives. My grandparents lived in Africa for 50 years. My wife's grandparents were in, in uh, India for 50 years. I mean, this whole family tree I'm a part of is about, Lord, we give you our life. Use us to help people know you. I just never thought that would be Indianapolis. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know one person here in this state. I didn't know anybody. I didn't even, I'd never even been here. So I, I wasn't praying about coming here. But through a lot of circumstances I don't have time to go into, in 1999, I was invited to come and pray in Indianapolis about the idea of maybe this is where God would have you invest your whole life. I didn't think there was much chance of that happening, but we said yes. And in 1999, my wife, Lurie, and I, at the end of a week here, we had our little baby daughter, Lauren, with us, and we just had been talking to people, praying, God put a burden on our hearts so heavy. And I said, I, I think... Maybe God's inviting us to spend our entire lives in this city. How crazy is that? So, yeah, that's right. So <laughs> who would want to live here? I don't know. <laughs> so, but I love this place now. But back then, I didn't even know. So I ended up over at this, um, you know, the movie theater across the corner. United Artists is right over there. And we were finishing up our little northeast side tour, heading back to the airport. We pulled off into that parking lot. 
And I prayed a humble prayer. I said, Lord, I have no idea if you're really calling us here. But if you do, and you were to take care of all of these obstacles, because there's a lot of them, um, we'll say yes to you. And if we come here, Lord, I don't want to be out in some corner. Put us in the heart of this community. Lord, put us right on this corner. Make us like a beacon of light on this corner that the whole community can see that your people are here. (laughs) I was praying in the parking lot across the corner. I had no idea about this building. I had no idea what God was going to do just a few years later. But we prayed that prayer. Went home, gave God our list of impossible things. In six weeks, every one of those things. If you want God to direct you, just tell him that you're willing to do whatever he says and tell him all the reasons why you can't. (laughs) And watch how God just takes care of those, and then he'll say, okay, I did that. Now are you ready to do what you said? And that's, that's how we got to Indianapolis. It wasn't this big writing in the sky. It was just, well, we said we'd go, and, you know, we did the stuff that we said couldn't be done. So we packed up our house. Uh, loaded up our minivan, and a guy in the church that we were a part of said, uh, I'll bring my truck over to help you move. I was, that's great. Another answered prayer. He pulled up. It was a flatbed semi-truck. <laughs> so we put all our stuff on the back of the flatbed. They put a big tarp over it and the ropes, and we drove out here like the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> It looked so bad, and I was just sinking in my seat in the, in the rearview mirror, just, what in the world is this going to look like pulling into <laughs> Indianapolis? And, you know, and the longer we drove, the more I felt, well, this is crazy. I mean, what am I supposed to say to people? Come join my church. There's no money, no people, no members, no building, but you'll love it. You should come over to my house. <laughs> and so uh, we got here in the 465, the traffic, it was all backed up, and I'm just thinking, what am I supposed to do? And uh, the first thing I want you to write down is this. Where God guides, God always provides. Where God guides, he always provides. That is a lesson that I've learned over and over and over again. We pulled off the freeway, pulled up to our apartments, and I was stunned how God had provided even a little welcoming committee. There was a family playing with their three little children who were exactly the same ages of my three little children. It was such a little detail, but it meant a lot to a dad's heart to say that God cares enough to make sure that he's taking care of your kids as you've moved across the country. And so I jumped out excited and introduced myself to the family, and they said, well, what are you guys moving here for? Well, I'm here to start a church, and you guys can be my first members. Well, that didn't go over so well, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, we became friends with them, and, you know, sure enough, they were a part of, we, we really uh, got to influence that family's life. But listen, the story is where God guides, God provides. It was only a few months later that we purchased a home, met the mortgage broker, the real estate agent, um, homeowner's insurance guy and his family, and I asked them where they went to church. We don't go to church, and I said, well, come over to our house, and on February the 4th, 2001, we had a little gathering in the living room of our house here in Fishers that was the start of Heartland Church. All people who didn't have any idea where to find anything in the Bible, they hadn't been in church in a long time, but they said, you know, we need something in our lives, and we we like you, and we'll come over. Do you know that by Easter of just a few months later, but from February to, to, to April, there were 40 people meeting in our home every Sunday night, and we went to a local church, and we baptized 12 people on Easter Sunday night, and this church just began to take off. In, uh, in that summer, I realized, you know, if we're really going to uh, reach the people of this community with a third of the population being under the age of nine, then we've got to focus on children. How's that for deduction? And, um, 
we decided we need to start a, a daycare. But you see, I'd never run a daycare before. I didn't have any money. We didn't have a building. I didn't have a daycare director. But if we had all those things, well, yes, of course we could do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's just, let's, let's pray about that. So God provided. He provided a man who knew how to write venture capital business plans, and he helped me write one. Received $250,000 of venture capital for the idea. Um, put an ad in the Indianapolis Star. Um, looking for a daycare director, wanting to hire a daycare director. Well, there's no daycare, there's no building, there's none of that, but I just put the ad out just to see what would happen. And there was one reply, and it turned out to be a Christian family, and the lady was moving here, her and her husband, she'd run a daycare of over 100 people. Um, Couldn't find any building to meet in, but then I met the owner of this building. Do you guys remember this used to be a computer store? How do you remember the old Electech computer store that used to be here? Well, it went out of business, and a local guy bought it, and he was going to rent it out, and he couldn't do it. There was a mortgage company in the front, but he couldn't rent the rest of it, and I told him my vision. We need to start a child care center right on this corner. We're going to start a church in it later. He thought that was a good idea. He says, tell you what, I'll lease it to you for $7 a square foot. And I thought, $7, that's great. And then I went home, and I added up $7 times $10,000 uh, 15,000 square feet, it was $10,000 a month. And there's like 40 of us meeting in the Holiday Inn now. (laughs) So, but I thought to myself, well, look, God's provided like the venture capital and he's provided the daycare director and he's provided the building. I just don't have the cash to like actually sign the deal. And I thought to myself, this is a good test for God. He has to provide $15,000 of cash and I'm not gonna tell one person about it. I'm not gonna say a word. I need the first month rent and the security deposit and we'll just see what he does. Meanwhile, we'll go to work on the planning. Well, the months went by and no money. I didn't tell anybody, nothing came in, and we came down to the week right before uh, we were supposed to sign that Friday on the lease. No money. I went to the post office box that Wednesday and there was a letter in there from a family from our previous church that said, we really wanted to support you when you left, but we weren't in the position, but God has changed some things for us. We believe in the vision of Heartland Church and inside was a check for $15,000. Let me tell you, that is a strange feeling because half of you is clapping and the other half is going, oh no. (laughs) Because now you're kind of on the hook, right? Because you said, like, I'm going to go for it, but I was like, okay, now I want to sign a lease for five years for $10,000, and, you know, because I said I was going to, and it was a struggle, so I stayed up all night and I'm praying, and I thought, you know, what's the worst that could happen? (laughs) <laughs> it just wouldn't work. I mean, the wor- it wouldn't work, and, you know, I'd have to get a job, and, you know, my wife would still love me, and I'd still love them, and I'd find something to do. And so, you know, I, I said, okay, uh, I'm going to go in there. So I kind of worked up my faith, went in there on the Friday, and just before I signed it, in the moment of just panic, I said to the guy, all right, I'll sign it, but I need like six months of free rent. And he goes, okay. <laughs> so then I said, well, that didn't work. So, um, so I need, I need, a, and I need fifty thousand dollars of cash for the build out for you to contribute. And he goes, well, I don't know about that. And he just talked, but then he says, you know what? Whatever. Yes. Okay, I'll commit to that too. I walked in there with nothing, and I said, here's what I believe God wants us to do, and laid out the list, and God provided the steps, and we get in there, and in a conversation, He gave us a hundred thousand dollars just from this guy. You know, six months of free rent and $50,000. Unbelievable. 
So we worked real hard, and we used the money just to fix up kids' classrooms. The adult room was just basically the old computer warehouse. It was just stone floor, fluorescent lights, and folding chairs. But we had some pretty awesome kids' classrooms. And by August, we opened up this daycare, and we, we figured out we need just these, this number of families to make it work. We had the exact number of families. Listen, where God provides, or where God guides, God provides. And then so we had these families, and then um, four weeks later, 9-11 happened. And like all of us, we were all like shocked and disturbed and confused and hurting, and suddenly I became the pastor of 30 families who had their kids in daycare. And four weeks later, we had the grand opening of Heartland Church, and 150 people showed up in this building, and from then on, the church was off and running. And I could just tell you that story over and over and over again. Where God guides, God provides. You can put them to the test. Second thing, write this down. Where God, God guides, he provides. But when God delays, God's trying to do something deeper inside of you. And here's the thing. There are always delays. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in that position where you think God should do something and then he doesn't do it? <laughs> you ever been in that place where you're just like, God, why aren't you doing this? And you're praying, or maybe you've, you've, you've been mad at God because things didn't go the way that you thought they should go, and you're upset. Always what God is doing, he's doing something deeper in you. See, a delay is not a denial. He's just waiting for you to learn. And he's waiting for you to come around to the place where he can use you. The shortest different difference between, uh, distance between two points with God is never a straight line there's always a zigzag you have your agenda and God says I know I know but I got my agenda for you and I'm aligning the circumstances to show you that I'm real that I'm supernatural that I can do things you can't imagine your attitude needs to get in the right place you're relying on yourself too much you think this is all about you I'm going to humble you there's all kinds of lessons that God wants to teach Jared said today uh, God you are refuge and our strength the very present help in the time of trouble a lot of you don't even think you have any trouble well, you know what the Bible says in Romans, that the very worst thing that can happen to you, that if people who don't want to follow God, who want to go their own way, he says, I give them over to the desires of their heart. I give them exactly what they want. So you can have success, and that can be big trouble for you. And so the gospel to you is, well, humble yourself, because God gave you everything you have. And for those who are going through struggle, the two great tests of life, success or struggle, those of you going through that, just say, listen, you're just in God's waiting room right now. God's trying to teach you something, but it's not the end. It's just a delay. We'd been here, I just glossed through that first nine months when we arrived, like it was no big deal. It was the longest nine months of my whole life when we arrived to when all that happened that I just told you about. Because for nine months, I just experienced rejection after rejection after rejection. Nobody wanted to talk about this new church. I mean, imagine, I come meet you on the street, you don't see any of this, and I say, hey, it's going to be great, come over to my house, we're starting a church. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wanted to come to my living room. I mean, if you were going to a good church, you were like, I got my church, and everybody else says, this is a cult, I'm not going over to your house. (laughs) And it was just, I worked, and I'm the kind of person that works hard. You're going to go, you're not going to take opposition and just, oh, well, whatever. You're just going to keep going, get up another day, work harder. I'm not a lazy person, but nothing I did worked. And I had this little closet in our apartment. It was a little walk-in closet. That was like the, the office of Heartland Church. And I would go into that little closet. I'd be so frustrated at the end of the day. And I would just get mad at God. And I would just, I'd kind of yell at God. 
I'd say, God, why aren't you accomplishing anything? I go out every day and I meet people and I'm trying to do, trying to share you and talk about this church and nothing's working. You know, the Bible says, pour out your heart to God. He can handle your anger and he instructs you to do that. Well, I would go into that and I would just express my feelings to the Lord. God, Mm. I don't like that you're not doing what I want you to do. I didn't say it like that, but that's basically (laughs) what I was doing. And... I I was frustrated, and I would say things like, I'm not even a pastor, I'm just an unemployed guy in a closet. That was my, that's how I felt. And and for all of you who've ever felt that way, like you've you've, you've struggled, you lost your job, you don't feel like you're anything, you you don't have enough, you've run into some relational problem, the the family's falling apart, you're just, I don't know what to do. You're in your closet, You're, you're, you're stuck in there, and you're going, God, I don't understand. The delay is not a denial. God is just trying to do something deeper in you. You see, I thought it was all going to be accomplished by hard work and my effort. And God had a great lesson to teach me. He kind of went, okay, for a while, I'm just going to let you do what you think you can do all on your own. And there was a great humbling one day when he whispered in my ear. He says, what if I brought you here just to fail? (laughs) I'd never thought of that before. What do you mean fail? You don't fail. You just succeed and you work hard and you, you know, you... And God says, no, no, what if I brought you here to fail? And that terrified me. You see, I already had that fear in my heart, really, because I knew that if I didn't make something happen, all the people who were supporting us... And, you know, we were struggling. We came here and, you know, we were losing money at the rate of about $800 a month, and I was draining our small savings account. And I would have these glimpses of God that he would show up. Like one time I'm looking at, this is my last time I can do this. And after that, we're stuck. And the next day, someone would call us and say, hey, tell us your plan for financial support. And this guy called me on Labor Day 2001. And I says, well, you know, we're just trusting God to provide through people who believe in the vision of our church. And he says, well, okay, how about $400 every two months or every two weeks? And I thought, that's great. That's better than $800 a month. I mean, that's exactly what I need. But see, God does things in such a way to let you know, no, I'm with you, but I'm just not doing what you want. I'm with you, I'm going to provide for you, but, you know, God, why am I here in this closet? And he's going, look, you know, what if I brought you here? And I'm going, if I don't make something happen, people are going to stop supporting this. They're not going to see God in it, and God's laughing, like you had anything to do with it. But I felt terrified, and I know you have in in moments of life, too, where you can't see how it's all going to work out. And God was saying, what if I brought you here to fail? So I prayed a prayer, which was the first time of many times in the last 12 years I prayed this prayer, which is, God, I have no idea what you're doing. Hmm. And if you want me to fail, then okay. Wow. God, if you, you know, if, if my dream needs to die so that you can do something through me, okay. God, if I need to just stop focusing on what I want done, I'm just gonna have to trust you. And I thought about it. God had been so clear in bringing us here. And he had provided for us. And he kept doing these miracles. But just what I wanted to happen wasn't happening. So I finally went, okay, well, my wife will love me. And I'll love her. And I'll, I'll go do, I'll find some work. I'll do something. But okay, I'm done planning this church. And that's almost when I felt the thousand pounds roll off my shoulders. And I realized, well, now I can use you. The first creative thought I really had after that pressure went off was, what am I doing in this closet? (laughs) Because I didn't have to be in the closet. I had enough money to go buy a house. 
but I guess I was just hedging my bet, thinking, well, what if this doesn't work out and I need to save? And, you know, and mm. I had a burn the ships moment. And I said, you know what? God brought us here. We're supposed to be here. I don't know if we'll ever plant a church, but I'm, go- you know, God's called me to love people well. You see, I didn't come here with love people well, lead them to a transforming relationship with Jesus. I didn't know, I didn't know that, but that's where that idea came from. Darren, I don't want you to plant a church. I want you to go out tomorrow and just love somebody, whoever I put in front of you. Leave the rest to me. Quit trying to start a church. How embarrassing that I'm a pastor. I didn't know that. But I didn't. So I told my wife, we're buying a house today. And now she's thinking I'm crazy. Like one minute you're depressed and now you want to go buy a house. Like what's <laughs> happening to my husband? <laughs> but we went out, we bought a home. And in the process of buying that home, I met a realtor and I met a mortgage broker. I met a homeowner's insurance guy and his family. And the church got started in the living room of that new house. And God says, look, you can try all you want until my spirit comes upon you. Nothing's going to happen. But when I come on, and when God delays, he knows what he's doing, and he's doing something deeper in you. And I want to just say that over and over again. Look at this scripture that is in um, the book of, of Habakkuk. I mean, you've never even been there in your whole life, but there's this prophet who said something. He said, the things that I'm planning, you never see them right away. My translation. But slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision that he has for your life and my life, it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, don't despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They'll not be overdue a single day. Paul talked about the trouble that he went through in his life, where it didn't make any sense to him. And he says in Second Chronicles 1, we were crushed, we were overwhelmed, we thought we were going to die, we thought we wouldn't live through it. But look at this. But as a result... We stopped relying on ourselves and we learned to rely on God who can even raise the dead. I mean, what can God do? Anything. So here's the thing. I think the biggest lesson that God wants to teach all of us and he has been teaching us these past 12 years is stop trying to figure it all out and surrender yourself to God and let him lead you. Hold nothing back. He'll take you places. Didn't he say to his first disciples, look, I know you can't figure this out, but if you'll start following me, I'm going to do something inside of your heart that's so different. I'll rearrange your priorities. You won't even recognize yourself a few years from now. That's how the story basically goes. And that's, what he's, that's the same gospel that he's trying to do in your heart and mine. I'm trying to change you. I'm trying to do a deep work in your heart. Love people well, Darren and then lead him into this transforming relationship with Jesus that has everything to do about having people start depending on God and not on themselves. Moving from being this selfish sort of clasping, it's all got to be about me, to God, you've got my whole life. I want to give myself to you. Use me for your purposes. Transforming relationship with Jesus. Here's the third thing I've learned. It goes right along with this. Whatever you give to God, God is going to multiply it. Whatever you give to him, he'll take a little bit of your time a little bit of your energy. He take, if you give him a little bit of your money, you give him a little bit of your resources, whatever you give to God, he multiplies. And he'll bring it back to you over and over and over again. It's just incredible about how God's, his timing is perfect. We've been in times in our lives in this church when we were in delay, we thought it was a big denial, And we were frustrated, and we said, you know what? Uh, God, where are you? I remember a time about 2005, 
the church had just grown and had grown and we were out of space in this building. We always saw this as something temporary and so we had been for the last several years before that looking for land like all churches do and we're gonna, I guess, build a building and, you know, we had this idea but nothing happened. Land was too expensive, couldn't find anything that would work. And so one day... Um, we gathered together and said, look, there's no more space. Maybe what we need to do is make some room. We need to send some people out. And God arranged it that a church planner came to us and says, look, I want to start a church in downtown Indianapolis, and will you help us? And we had this opportunity. We said, look, there's no more room here. Why don't we invite people from our church to, to leave Heartland and go on a mission and down and start this new church in Indianapolis? 65 families responded to that opportunity, which I was excited about and scared about, Right? That's 65 families that are going to go on mission, and 65 families are going to take their financial support with them and go down and start this other church. But you know what? We said, that's what we need to be doing. And see, here comes another part of the mission that just sort of evolved over time, that we're here to love people well, lead them to a transforming relationship with Jesus, but we're here to launch people out and send them on to the mission that God has for them. It's not about you. What does God want to do in their lives? And so... We were just getting ready in the spring of 2006 to launch all these people out and a farmer called us and said, I want to retire to Florida. I've heard you're looking for land. I want to sell you 75 acres right along I-69 up by exit 10. Couldn't have been worse timing. Why couldn't that happen before? But now when we're ready to send out all these people and give all these people away and now you're giving us the opportunity, God says, that's right. I want to get it in your DNA that you're going to be giving church. And what you give away, I'm going to multiply in ways you can't imagine. Our elders got together. We prayed. We said, you know what? We're going to keep our commitment. We're going to keep on launching that church. And we sent them out with all their support and all those people. And then we said, maybe God will provide a way. And in 60 days after we launched that church, God provided a way for us to purchase that whole 75 acres of land for $1.5 million. Our church grew in the next 90 days. Hundreds of people joined Heartland, dwarfing the number of people that went into that other mission. It was just incredible. We saw our church come together around a capital campaign called the One Life Campaign, which was to pay for that land and to do the renovations in this building. Because we originally decided, well, we're not going to go build on this land. Let's just stay here. We'll keep sending people out. We'll spruce it up. We'll make it bigger. We'll expand it. But let's just let that land be a bank for us. And the people of this church, about 300 families at the time, made a commitment of $2.8 million. That's, this, the story of this church cannot be told without the sacrificial uh, giving of people. It's, it's mind-boggling. Let, let that number sink in. 2.8 million people from about 300 families. That's like $9,500 per family over a three-year period. And staggering sacrifice over and above the giving that they were already giving to Heartland Church. So how did that happen? Well, a group of people decided to take God at his word. Let me read you a scripture. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. Like, he'll give you seed, and then he'll provide you bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. You see, there it is. He's trying to make all of us generous in our hearts to make us like Jesus. There's the transformation. Farmers know that seed has to be given away for it to be useful. If it just stays in your hand, nothing happens. But plant it, 
and that one seed will produce a cob that'll have hundreds and hundreds of kernels on it. So that's why he says in verse 6 and 7, remember this, the farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide, you get to decide in your own heart how much you want to give. It's your choice. Isn't that amazing? And don't give reluctantly or under somebody else's pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. There's a vision of the transformation God wants to put in your heart to take you from where you are today to a person that knows how to cheerfully give because that's the heart of Jesus. So again, the story of this church can't be told without telling the story of the hundreds of people who sacrificed to make this happen. And so... Guess what happened a year into this great big sacrifice? Yeah, we're going to give 2.8 million. Woohoo! 2007, we made that commitment. You know what happened in 2008? Economy freaked out, housing market went down, stock market plummeted, and everybody got scared. Oh no. And all of us were like, well, God, what are you doing? And how's this going to work? And we've got this, we need a miracle here now. It couldn't have happened at the worst time. But some missionaries contacted me and says, Darren, we know it's a bad time, but could you help us? Because we're in Sierra Leone, West Africa, and there's some people here that we're trying to provide water for, and the drill rig equipment has just, it stopped working. It doesn't work anymore. And we need to replace it. And I said, how much is that? And he said, $150,000. And I'm like, oh. We're already sacrificing beyond what we can even imagine. The economy has just tanked, and now you're asking us for $150,000. But you know what? I went out there and I looked at it with my own eyes and I came back and I told our leaders, we need a miracle. Uh, our economy's bad, but it's not like Sierra Leone bad. Our economy is, t- uh, we're suffering right now, but we're not suffering like that. We need a miracle, but we could be these pure people's miracle right now. And we just talked about it. We said, look, we can just delay. We're not in a hurry. We're not in a rush. God can take care of us later. We put that on hold. And I got up in front of this church and said, you know what? We're just putting our campaign on hold for a while. Here's something that we can do something about right now. And let's give <laughs> and bring uh, water uh, to people who need it the most in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It set off a generosity explosion like I have never seen. I mean, people went crazy. One little girl in our church, Angie McDougall, seven years old, she, she started selling na- uh, lemonade in her neighborhood complete with laptop and PowerPoint. I mean, to tell the whole, you know, Sierra Leone, the Africans, and, and uh, people in the neighborhood just responded to this little girl. They went and told their bosses. Checks started to come. The news media came and told the story about Angie McDougall, put it all over the news. And people started responding in our church. People we didn't know, checks were coming in. A guy in British Columbia, Canada, sent $25,000. And it just set off an explosion in six weeks. In six weeks, in the fall of 2008, when it was all hitting, $150,000 was given like that. An anonymous donor stepped forward and said, if that's what this church is going to do, that's, you, you put your, your needs on hold so that you could touch the world, that's the kind of giving that blesses me, and you go back and tell your church, I'll match everything they give dollar for dollar. It wasn't 150, it was $300,000 now. 
Then the local Rotary Club, which I'm a part of, they heard the story and they says, well, tell us about it and how can we get involved? And they asked me to speak all over central Indiana. And I told the story and I told about the generosity wave and thousands and thousands of dollars were given. Rotary International decided to back it. There was another $500,000, half a million dollars, all sent to some missionaries in Africa who gave water to some people in Jesus' name. Don't tell me that you can outgive God. Don't tell me there's a problem in God's economy. What you give to God, it, it multiplies. I believe in the power of one life that can still change the world because one act of love followed by a second act of love starts a chain reaction that other people want to get involved with and your little act of generosity inspires people. Some of you gave to that and you didn't think, well, this is the best I can do. Your giving inspired all kinds of other people. We were just getting in the middle of that. We were just seeing that come to fruition and then a huge earthquake struck in the country of Haiti. And I looked at that and go, oh, we've sacrificed so much and we've done so much already. But I grew up there. And that's the poorest country in our hemisphere. And the earthquake devastated that country. I remember saying, guys, can we sacrifice again? And can we put our needs on hold? And can we do something about Haiti? And the congregation responded in generosity. Not just us, but it, it, it infected 31 other churches in Indianapolis. And we led a little coalition. And in a couple of weeks, $166,000. Again, in the middle of the worst economy since the Great Depression. Just like that. In last year, last Christmas, I said to you, it shouldn't be that anybody, any child should be hungry at Christmas in Indianapolis. And we took boxes and we printed Love Indy on the side, didn't put Heartland Church on it. And we just said, take this, fill out the list of food. It's about 44 pounds of food. And there was like a thousand people in our church that Sunday. All the boxes went, all 1,000 boxes. Three weeks later, you guys filled those up you could bring them back to the church or you could take them to your school or you could walk them across the street to somebody in need or take it to your favorite. We said we don't control where it goes, but we want to see this get into the hands of hungry people this Christmas. In three weeks, 44,000 pounds of food was donated through the generosity of this church. That's 22 tons of food. You ever heard of a food drive that ever did that? Why? Because, you, because by yourself you can give one thing, but when you do it in community... What you give to God, it multiplies. In the middle of all of this, how, how are we, you know, uh, the owner of the building calls me up and says, you know, I'm, I'm ready to sell the building. We've wanted that since the day we came here. And, he, and so it was going to cost the same amount of money in the mortgage as it was uh, what we were paying in rent, so it was a great deal. And we thought, all right. These people have sacrificed and given and given. I got to go back and say, folks, we could buy this building, but we need a million dollars to convert this from just into a mortgage. And uh, that Christmas, last uh, people gave the largest single offering we've ever had in one offering was $248,000 one Christmas Eve offering. Now it wasn't a million dollars; it wasn't what we needed, but it was amazing. And I sat back and thinking, God, you brought us so close. We've sacrificed, we've given, and we're so, we're, you, you want to establish this as a permanent hub for ministry all over this city. What are you going to do? And uh, I came back in January and said, hey, it was 248, and some of you gave some more, and by the end of that month, we were at 300,000. And then a lady that I really didn't even know, met her one time, she asked for an appointment, and she came and sat in my office and said, I want to tell you an amazing story. And she told me about how difficult her life was and how 
some really terrible things that would make you cry. I sat and wept on my couch as I heard her story, but I thought it was she was going to ask me for counseling. And then she says, hey, I'm not here for that. I'm here to tell you about your, this amazing church and how it's changed my life. And she said, I came here and people loved me well. She used the words. She said, I, was, I wasn't rejected. Somebody walked over to me and included me in a ministry. I was, I, I, the one hug I get every week, I get at Heartland Church. I used to be so lonely, and, but I'm here now and I'm a part of the people of God and he's changing my life. You know, the transforming relationship with Jesus because you love people well. And I was so proud of our church. I was thinking, it's working. He doesn't ask us to preach to people. He just asks us to love people when they're in their crisis and just meet them. And I was so excited. And then she shifted gears and she said, so about this vision you have about buying this church, like, how's that going? And I said, well, you know, here we are. And she goes, well, would half a million dollars help? <laughs> I literally fell off the, the couch. What do you mean? Half, of course it would help. She goes, well... You know, I've recently just been really blessed, and, I, and you would never know it to look at her. You're, I'm like, what? And she said, yeah, um, I want to give this. This is, this is amazing. She gave $500,000. I came in here on Sunday morning. Praise the Lord, 800000 now. <laughs> and some of you were just sitting around waiting, saying, oh, it'll never happen. And I said, those of you who have the means, but you were just waiting, now's the time. Jump in. Take us over the edge. Two weeks later, had the whole million dollars, and we purchased this building. Now, okay. In November, we'll pay our last tax payment that'll save us $200,000 a year because of that investment. In five years, we'll have the million back. But I'll tell you what's amazing. This summer, our community here decided that the property along I-69 is a new economic zone in which no nonprofits can ever go. So churches are not allowed on either side of I-69 anymore. You can't build them, except for churches that are already there. And if we hadn't bought the church right when we did, if we hadn't bought this right when we did, if God hadn't provided right then, we couldn't do it today. So you talk about how we just need to step back and realize, look, God, when you delay, you know exactly what you're doing. Where you guide, you provide. What we give to you, you just multiply in ways we can't even imagine. I could just keep telling you stories. I know you guys want to go home and eat lunch, but... <laughs> look, at, look at this. This is what Jesus said. I want, to, I want to give you Jesus' words on this. Listen. You won't regret it. No one who sacrifices home or spouse or brothers or sisters or parents or children, you know, because it's costly to follow Jesus, whatever... They'll never lose out. It will, look at this, it will come back multiplied many times over, and I can't believe it. He says, in your lifetime. And the bonus of eternal life. That's a promise of Jesus Christ directly from his lips. So Paul would say, so, so what are you worried about? Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. See, it's his work. It's his mission. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor will never, ever be in vain. And here's the last thing I want to leave you with. Where God guides, he provides. When he delays, he's doing something deeper. What you give him, he multiplies. And what he starts, he finishes. These are simple lessons, but it's what the world needs to hear. See, some of you are like, yeah, I know, you're, you're a preacher, you're talking about money, and you, know, you, you got that whole little thing going on, and I'm sorry, I, I, didn't, I don't want to be, that, be a barrier to you, but, but here's the thing I'm trying to tell you, is that 
God is real, and what God does is supernatural things. And one of the ways he does supernatural things is when he starts dealing with the big idol of our life. You know, the big idol for all of us is what? It's our money. And God says, you know, let me show you what I can do when you get on mission with me. When you get on mission with God with your whole life, God will surprise you and show up in miraculous ways, and you'll actually start to see supernatural things like what I'm talking about today. There's no other way around it. And here's the thing, it's the mission of God, so I don't stress anymore. I used to have this worry about, like, I have to make things happen, and I have to produce, and I have to, and I don't anymore. I just know this, that if we keep loving people well, and we lead them to a transforming relationship with Jesus, we launch people out to the purpose God has for their life, God will always provide. Mm -hmm. God may delay us, there'll be some zigzags, but God will multiply what we give him, and what he's going to start, he's going to finish, because didn't he say that he who begins a good work within you, he's going to be the one to carry it all the way to completion? So some of you might be saying, you know, I wish I was here at those beginning days when it was so amazing and all the miracles were happening, and uh, I wish I could be a part of that. Well, listen, we're not at the end. We're just at the beginning. And besides, the beginning of the race isn't even the exciting part. It's all about the finish line. And we're not even close to the finish line yet. I mean, why are you here right now? Why has God brought you to be a part of this church? Of all the churches that you could be a part of, why did he select you to be a part of this? With your background, with your education, with your resources, with your ethnicity, with your church background, why? Because he's building something unique together, a group of people who will rally around a singular mission. We are here to love people well, to lead them into a transforming relationship with Jesus, and to launch you guys out to do the kingdom work in the world, to love people well. Jesus said that the church that does that, he says that not even the gates of hell can stop that church. He says, I'll build my church. What he starts, he's going to finish. Now, lest you think I was talking today about land and buildings and money, let me tell you something. I was talking about people the whole time. The mission of Jesus is about people. People who are lost. And Jesus said, I came to seek them and to save them. I came to let them know that I didn't come to condemn them, to judge them, to pile rules upon them. I came to love them, to meet them at their point of need, to be sacrificially generous. I'll even give my whole life for people who don't even know me. And so he calls you and I to be his followers and to follow him into it. And I guarantee you that this is just the beginning. The stories are yet to be written. You are the story that God's going to write. And this is about what God's going to do through us as we follow him. Stop praying in your life, God, bless me, bless me. Listen, make, make, pray this prayer, God, make me a blessing. God, make me a blessing for others. God, use my life and watch if he won't open your life up as a big conduit. The more you give to him, the more he'll multiply and the more people will come to know him. And this church is about people whose lives have been changed over and over again. We've seen people be baptized by the by the hundreds and hundreds, over 1,300 people now, just 100 in this since January. And uh, I want you to meet some of the people whose lives you've been a part of. Those of you who have given and sacrificed and been on this journey, I say thank you to you from the bottom of my heart.